Can't talk. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> To another Wednesday night. Of course, tonight, I'd like to welcome our, our legends as always Mr. Don Henderson, Mr. Roger Hendler, Mr. Roy Cummings, Mr. Frank Carroll. I'd like to dedicate this show to Miriam, who's listening out there. Guys, what a week in sports. 
And Roy, thank God hockey's back. Do you ever think a, a hockey hotbed in July and August would be Minneapolis and Columbus, Ohio? <laughs> Did you ever think about that? Well, it isn't back yet. I mean, we got two months <laughs> to go, uh, but there's a plan to bring it back. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. All can happen in the next 60 days, but uh, it's looking like much like baseball, uh, you know, much like, uh, you know, we'll see what, I mean, right now we don't know when it's coming back. What, what Gary Bettman said is it will not be back before July 1st. So we're looking at somewhere right. in July, we're looking at the next, you know, 30 days of, you know, let's see when they get on the ice first and, you know, start practicing because they're looking at three to four weeks of training camp. But, Tommy, I, I hear you. I mean, it's, it's good news for the sports fans for sure. Uh, it's, it's another indication that we're going we're gonna to have sports again soon. Um, you know, I don't know that anybody's really in a race to be the first one to get there. I mean, if, if that's the case, then NASCAR won um, or maybe mm-hmm. soccer won over in uh, Europe a little bit where things have cooled down a little because uh, they're being a little bit smart about how they're going about this, but um, uh, but no, it, it's great news that that hockey has plans, that the players and the the owners have agreed on the plan, and that they're uh, they're planning to go forward. But let's not forget, this is just phase one of a plan that's got at least three, possibly even four phases to it before we actually mm-hmm. see competition, one team against another. But hey, you're right, Tommy. Any and any word from the leagues at this point, from any league, about a plan of opening up and what they want to do and when they can do it uh, is good news. It's, it's like manna from heaven for, to uh, so many people, so many sports fans. The news from the NBA about, you know, possibly doing, uh, having in essence a, a tournament at Disney World makes a lot of sense. Uh, that, that's great news for, for basketball fans. Uh, baseball, obviously, still negotiating things, but uh, my guess is they'll get that figured out. But you're absolutely right, Tommy. It's uh, we've, we've got a for the, for the sports fan that can't wait to see uh, to, to see players again on the field or, or the court or the ice. Uh, we're getting good good news again. Oh, that's well, I think, fellas, people uh, was on the on news this morning on the national was talking about. You know the possibilities of getting things underway, and you're right, Roy. They, they've got a plan. They've got an idea of what they want to do. Uh, it, it's an unusual plan in, in the sense that uh, how they determine the number of teams that are going to be involved in this tournament, and how they're going to go into a Stanley Cup final. But uh, the plan is there, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, whether it actually culminates in the month of July and they actually get going because. There's still a lot of big question marks, I think. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of question marks, guys, no doubt. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the plan. I, I think they've, you know, I think they've taken care of, uh, I know Tampa Bay and Carolina didn't agree with it. And I think, you know, and, and I'm not exactly sure you know, what the reasoning was. I think it probably had a little something to do with they don't like the fact that, you know, they're one of the top teams and they could end up facing some, you know, 12 seed, for example, in a, in a first round and right. get knocked out by a 12 seed. I think that has a lot. Well, to they do were one of two that you know, disagreed. Think, only two really disagreed, Roy. Yeah. Them and Carolina, they're the only two that's uh, in the NHL plan, but you know, look at right. from the standpoint of, of a team like Montreal, which is at the bottom mm-hmm. of the list. Uh, you know, that's a team that, that was obviously, you know, it looked like they were out of the running, but you know, with, if you had 
13, 14 games left to play, well, you can't say you weren't going to make it. Uh, you know, if, if you play those games the right way and, and get the right matchups and uh, get hot, you could have made it. Well, I think they've taken care of those teams. And I think they've taken care, and again, this is just my opinion, but I think they've taken care of the top teams in each uh, division and conference as well because they'll play meaningful games for seeding before the actual, uh, before you know, before they, they, they face a, an opponent in an elimination round, so to speak. So um, I think that works out. I, I think they've done the best can uh, for all the teams involved, which is why I would, you know, I, you know, I think only two teams were against it. Two teams found fault with it, but everybody else said, hey, you know, this is probably about as good as we can do if we're going to play hockey in July and August. Right. Uh, Roger, what do they think in Philadelphia with the Flyers? Uh, what's been the sentiment there since the announcement this morning? Uh, what do they feel? Well, the uh, Flyers feel that they uh, are in a pretty decent shape and they could be uh, ranked number one, uh, you know, in one of the uh, structures, if the way it's laid out. And then also the governor uh, has announced of Pennsylvania that professional teams uh, can start uh, working out at their complexes July 1st or uh, June 1st. I'm sorry. So there, there's another positive. Okay. Well, yeah, that's great. Cool. Yeah. Which means the, uh, the Steelers and the Eagles, uh, you know, can start uh, opening up their training uh, complexes as can the other, uh, the other teams in, in Pennsylvania. Of course, the Sixers. And Frank, maybe you uh, should touch at this point on what the uh, the next big allotment of money is coming in. The billions are going to come in now for college sports and also for professional sports. So maybe you touch on that. Under this this next round that uh, is coming out now, um, supposedly the heroes' money, 150 billion dollars will be allotted to professional sports uh, venues as well as college for the loss of ticket sales. Um, $150 billion uh, doesn't seem to me be very fair to give to millionaires who are already playing close, getting paid close to that, um, you know, in the professional sports. Yes, I, I see giving it to the to colleges. They have to maintain those stadiums. They have to do everything else. But uh, they're not getting the, the, the frequency, nor are they getting the cash value that the professional sports are getting from um, the uh, sponsorships and the TV. Frank, well, as, far as, I, can, as far as I can recall, the only team that has really put down a, a plan, the SEC has been more aggressive than anyone, but LSU has really uh, been out there. They've, uh, they're starting working out with their players. Uh, they're, they're really going at it now like this is all going to take place uh, the first part of September. Yeah, Notre Dame started on Monday. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to talk well, about they held a, a press conference uh, really about a week and a half ago and made everybody aware that they were, in fact, uh, going to be one of the ones, one of the leaders in coming back, that it was going to be uh, on their agenda to start practice. And as you indicated, uh, they were the first ones to jump in. Yep. What were you going to say, Roy? Yeah. Well, I was going to speak to what Frank was saying about the uh, the $150 billion going to both college and pro teams, uh, sports teams. 
and and I think the reason for that, the re, I think the reason it's happening, Frank, is that yes, absolutely, colleges need that money. They need that money to survive. Um, mm-hmm. So much money comes into colleges through intercollegiate athletics that uh, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much really does come in and, and how much it boosts. Uh, the, you know, just the, the division of, of colleges and, and what it does, what it allows them to do, um, you know, in, in the school, in the classroom and that kind of thing. And just throughout the, the whole program, it's not just sports that benefits from that money. Uh, so that makes all kinds of sense. But I think from the pro sports standpoint, think about it this way, guys. When the first stimulus bill was passed, it was basically for anyone who has a, a business of 5,000 employees or less. You know, it was for small businesses. If you have, if you have a, a business of, you know, with 50 employees or 12 employees or whatever it is, this is this money is to help help you stay in. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, it wasn't 5,000 or less. It was like 50 or less or something like that. But um, sports teams, you know, kind of they don't have tens of thousands of people working for them. They're very small uh, payrolls. They they have, you know, they have players obviously, but you know, if you look around, uh, you know, take take the, you know, uh, an NFL team for example, uh, you got you know about a hundred players that you're going to pay at some point throughout the course of the season, fifty that are on your, you know, payroll to be, you know, during the regular season in essence, and then you've got a bunch of people, you know, probably uh, two hundred fifty at the most inside the building that work in ticket sales, that work in, uh, you know, advertising, marketing. Uh, all those kind of things, if those teams don't have money coming in, and they've done a good faith thing, I think, and in, in basically most of them have continued to pay their employees as best they can. We talked about it early on during this uh, this whole situation about how uh, uh, Jeff Vinnick here in Tampa paid, you know, agreed to pay his people through uh, the first couple of months and maybe June 1st or whatever the num- number was. But, you know, there comes a point when, and even baseball, look at baseball, there comes a point when you're going to be losing money. And if you don't have fans coming in, um, you know, I think it's kind of a good faith thing that they're doing here. It's like, hey, here's a little bit to keep you going. We know you're losing money because one thing we've learned from the, you know, if you believe the numbers, uh, from the negotiations between with the baseball owners and players is that baseball basically breaks even. It's a $9 billion industry. But in terms of the revenue that comes in and the revenue that goes out, the league basically breaks even teams make money, but the league in essence breaks even. And in order to make money, uh, they need playoffs and they need, you know, uh, money coming from there. So I, I think there's kind of a good faith thing here. And I think there's just a realization that a lot of people are employed by major league uh, sports teams um, that otherwise might lose their jobs. And again, the whole thing is to try to keep as many people off the do- the, uh, the, the dole as uh, you know, as they can. So uh, I think it makes some sense, really. I, I see your point, Frank, and I, I don't disagree, but I, I think that's part of the reason behind the idea why they uh, included uh, professional sports teams in this uh, latest bill. Roy, well, I, heard I, I think it's great that they put it out there, as Frank indicated, but I, I'm the other way around, uh, Roy. I, I just think, you know, these billionaires are getting everything in the world. They get a stadium that's built for them. They're getting every concession. They're getting taxed. Credits are getting everything. And uh, to me, uh, they buy the teams, they should be responsible. If something like this happens, 
the federal government should not be bailing out a football team or a baseball team. That should be the responsibility ownership. And uh, how they go about doing it is up to them. But to me, the federal government giving them this kind of money just seems unrealistic to me. Well, we don't know how much money they're getting. We don't know exactly what every team is getting, if they're getting anything. Uh, right now, it's a bre- rather broad-based plan. I'm sure just like uh, you know, every other small business, uh, there's going to be a, you know, a form you have to fill out. There's gonna, you know, are you eligible for, for the money? If you are, you know, what, what's the criteria? And, again, if, if this money is what keeps, you know, the, uh, the ticket taker, the, you know, the, the, the person in the marketing department, um, the person who cleans the building, whatever it may be, you know, the, the people at the bottom end, not, not, the, not the players, but the people at the bottom end of the, of, of the payroll, if this is what keeps them, employ, you know, not mm-hmm. necessarily employed, but, but keeps them from going on, on – uh, but getting, having to get take government assistance, what's the difference? I mean, what's the difference? I don't think the money's going to the owners. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, I, I promise you it's not. It's not going to the owners. It's going to their employees. And, again, it's designed yeah. to keep them, you know, off the unemployment line because that's just another form of government assistance. So if they get it this way, it's one way. If they get it another way. So I, I think really that's what's at play here. Roy, I heard a very controversial story yesterday about the uh, Los Angeles Angels uh, furloughing uh, after, I think, the draft or right right before the uh, – maybe before the draft now that I think about it, of uh, their uh, scouts. And, uh, you know, that's one of the wealthiest teams in Major League Baseball. And I, I think that's like one of the worst things you can do before a draft is to get rid of the scouts that you know make the uh the, the relationships the relationships uh, with these players that uh, that are going to be drafted i don't know whether you heard about this or not i did um and i i, I got to be honest Frank, uh, roger i'm sorry i think i think you might have the wrong team i think it's oakland that has decided to let the scouts go um and and unfortunately oh, i, I, and I heard be that wrong. today uh, well, I heard it was Los Angeles yesterday, and I'm, you know, but I, I know I heard Oakland about it today, uh, but uh, the um, uh, I thought that uh, the the controversy was the Angels yesterday because they are a very wealthy team. Right. Oh, you're, you're not wrong about that. Okay. I, I know so many small business people right now that are saying, "Wait a minute," you yeah. know, they got this money, they've gotten this money, and they have to allocate. X amount of dollars to maintaining uh, their employees. They don't have billions of dollars to keep their businesses alive. And uh, all these people that have been furloughed, and you, let's take a restaurant, for instance, if you've kept two chefs or whatever to serve meals at uh, <clears throat> lunch or dinner for the outside, and you have 25 employees and you're keeping eight or nine, and you, and you keep those people on the payroll, and uh, you, you have to wait till the federal government gives you a small business loan to, to get the money back? I mean, come on. Let's go. These guys, every time you pick up the paper, they tell you, oh, this guy's worth $6.5 billion. This guy's worth – pay the employees. Pay their people. Don't wait for the federal government to pay you. Yeah, well, I, I think we're talking about the, the situation with scouts and um, Don, but – 
I, I hear you, but but um, same thing. Scouts, scouts, you're saying let the scouts go. Why are they yeah. letting them go? Here, 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 them. That's why. Here, Don, 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 give me here's a chance the to explain here's what I want to say. I mean, here. Don, if you go give ahead. me a second, I'll, I'll explain what's going on. What I'm trying to get to is there is a bigger issue across Major League Baseball right now with scouts. The reason is this. There's not going to be as many minor league teams anymore. There's only going to be five right. rounds of the Major League draft. It used to be 46. There's going to be five. So, number one, they've kept the scouts around through this point, and, and the draft is coming up. So, the scouting staff were going to be cut anyway. Whether there was a coronavirus or not, whether there was a, an outbreak, whether there was government assistance, the scouting staffs across Major League Baseball were going to be uh, basically uh, eliminated and, and because they're going to a five-round draft. And you obviously don't need scouts, as many scouts, for a five-round draft as you would for a 46-round draft. I think they're still important. There's a, so there's a bigger thing going on in Major League Baseball with minor league right. baseball and scouts. And a lot of it is designed, you know, to save money because Major League teams spend a lot of money, uh, you know, with, with minor league teams, paying minor league players, that kind of thing. Uh, it's very controversial. I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I'm a big fan of minor league baseball. Uh, I worked in I it as, as a young kid. I think there's a lot that's, uh, that is very beneficial in a lot of ways, in a lot of markets. And, uh, but this is something that's going on in Major League Baseball, and this is unfortunately the time when scouts kind of get let go. It's not, there, it's not any different in the NFL, guys. Uh, usually right around, you know, end of April, May, I mean, the Oakland Raiders did it this year. They fired their entire scouting staff about three, four, five days before the draft because it's like, okay, your work's done. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Mike Mayock knows the draft as well as anybody and anybody else, and they fired the whole staff. It's not a good thing, but this in baseball, it's, it's a result of uh, uh, a little bit bigger issue than just um, owners getting money from it. And, again, on the owners thing, let's wait and see how much money the owners get. And, by the way, again, it's not for the owners. It's to pay their bills. And, you know, I understand they're billionaires, but, you know, a lot of people. So, yeah, anyway, it's, Let's, let's, let's just wait and see what each owner gets individually. I don't think they're Roy, getting any. Here, Roy, here's the story. Uh, you're right. The Oakland Athletics will stop paying minor leaguers and furlough, and they're going to furlough scouts. That's number hmm. one. That was the controversy today. The Angels yesterday made a significant cut to the scouting department, furloughing multiple employees prior to the draft. That, that was, so they did it too, both of them. Well, you know, the good news there, I guess, again, and, and again, this I, everybody knew this was coming anyway. Um, right, you're teams right. Several kind of kind of pared back their uh, their scouting staffs already. Um, these are just two teams that are doing it in the middle of this crisis, unfortunately. But, hey, the good news is they're furloughed. So, in other words, for right now at least, yes, they're, they're out, but they're still uh, getting health care. They're still getting, you know, if they're on a 401k plan, they're still getting a little something. Um, they're furloughed. They're not laid off. They're furloughed. So, uh, and there's plenty of time to make that up. Uh, I mean, you're kind of, well, here's the thing. What is it that you want a scout to do right now? Nobody's playing baseball. They're not watching right. anything. Um, I, right. I'm sure we're talking about the amateur scouting staff, 
as opposed to the major league scouting staff because you're still going to want those guys around. But um, uh, at least they're furloughed and not completely laid off. That's, uh, there is you know, a difference. You know, the fellas, we're jumping thing, a little bit ahead here because, okay, talk about the money one way or the other, whether you agree or you don't agree. First of all, the Players Association, when they got the offer yesterday at, uh, what, noontime or whatever it was, they are totally unsatisfied with that. So we got a long way to go between the Players Association and the owners and the proposal that we talked about three or four weeks ago, the 50% split and all that, that all turned out to be a non-factor. So let's look at that side of it. Are the, are the players going to go along with this? Will we have baseball? I gotta believe, right, that's the question. Yeah, i got to believe at some point, you know, both sides will come together and, and figure this one out. It's, um, it's, it's too hard to – I mean, you, you can't lose a season. Because here's the thing, guys. If hockey, which has already agreed to a plan, gets on the ice, if the NBA, which I believe has in essence agreed to a plan, much easier for them, granted, uh, because there's so many fewer players, but there's a lot of money involved. If they've agreed to a plan and they play and the NFL goes and plays a full season or even half a season, you know, let's say they play half a season. If the NFL plays, and hockey I think they've got the play. best shot. I think the NFL has the best shot to have a legitimate they, season. They do. They do. But, but at the end of the day, you know, you can make a little bit or you can make nothing. And, and if, the, if the Major League Baseball sits out over money, it's going to look horrible. It's going to be one of the biggest black eyes in the history of the game. And, and I don't think it'll happen. I think cooler heads will prevail. I think there will be a way. Again, it's a negotiation. They know they have a certain date that they have to get all this done by. And my guess is that you'll see something, uh, you know, I think June 10th is, is kind of that magical number out there that everybody's looking at and saying, if we can get players on the field back at spring training by June 10th, we can start games first weekend in July and uh, around 4th of July, and uh, we'll be good to go. So, again, we still got a good, you know, what, two, almost two weeks here for this thing to get worked out. And I think it will. Don, hopefully they will work it out because uh, I'll tell you, like Don said, boy, they're in distance apart right now. They really well, are. The thing that's surprising to me is that, uh, you know, over the last two or three weeks, they kept projecting sure. this plan that they had in mind, which was highlighted by a 50% split from the time they start till the time they finish with the players go along with it. But then by the time they put the pr- proposal on the table, that's nowhere near what they presented. And that goes right back to what I say. I, I don't understand how you could do something like that. Mm, well, it, I think it goes back to the fact that um, it, it, Major League Baseball has figured out that it, it is going to lose money. Without people in the stands, it is going to lose right. money every time they play a game. Um, and, 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 that, and that look, that's, that's something that has to be, you know, brought into consideration. I think what they're trying to do is I think they're trying to cut their losses as best they can. And again, look, we all know this. We've all been there at some point. Um, your best offer is not the offer you make on the first day of a negotiation or the second day of negotiation. Your best offer is what you make, uh, you know, right at the deadline. So again, it's unfortunate that this is being played out in public. Um, that to me, that's the most unfortunate thing because um, the, the situation, I think, will get resolved, and I think there will be baseball because, again, I, I don't think the league can afford not to play if it's safe enough to play. 
Well, we got the fine columnist from the Tribune on with us, too, right now. He just checked in, and he, we were going to do something on Gannett, this uh, Scooter Gannett, which we'll Roy, still do. But I want to get Doug in uh, on this one as well. Mm-hmm. Doug, do you have any particular comment on what we've been talking about? Well, I don't know. I just caught the last 10 seconds of they were talking about the negotiations to get baseball back playing. Uh, right. Yeah, I was talking to I was talking to Kyle Snyder uh, a couple of days ago, and he was he was hopeful that an agreement could be reached. He said because it's in the best interest of the country and the national psyche to, to play baseball. We need a diversion. Uh, yeah, but the way it's been playing out in the media, uh, you know, there's a lot to hammer through. I mean, he had a guy like Blake Snell who came out a couple of weeks ago and really didn't endear himself to a lot of people by saying he wasn't going to play for basically half of his salary. And that's kind of tough. And he just changed his agent today. Well, the agent he went to, he went to Boris so. today. And he's got, what, he's got $50,000 extension from last year on his contract. Uh, so I don't know what I don't know what Boris is going to be able to do for him better than what he's doing right now. But he switched ages today. Well, I mean, he's under contract. I mean, he's I, mean, I don't know what Boris is going to do down the road a piece. But uh, you know, he is the Uber agent. He is the super agent. But uh, you know, Blake has got his money. And I asked Kyle Snyder about what he said, and Kyle said, "I really don't want to get dragged into personal." Of discussions, but that showed a high level of insensitivity. He says, when you consider people on the front lines and 38 million people unemployed, that's what I, that was the words he used a high level of ins- insensitivity. So, uh, yeah, you know, baseball players should just play the game and keep their mouth shut because uh, usually when they open their mouth, they don't do anything to endear themselves to the public. So, uh, well, before you run away, yeah. it's dinner time for you. Uh, any final comments about what we're doing? Um, no, I just look. I, I agree with uh, you know with what a lot of what's been said here. I, I, Kyle Snyder, I think, has uh, has put it right. This needs to be done in terms of baseball uh, for the best interest of, of not of the game, yes, for sure. But look, it, it, this is sports has a role in you know boosting the psyche of Americans across the country. All sports do. And baseball has to remember kind of its place. You know, it's, that's what it's become. It's, it's not just a game and, but it's a, it's a release. It's a, it's an escape for people. And one of the things that's been very tough through this period, and we all know it, we all feel it because we're all sports fans is there's been no sports. There's been no escape like right. that. So true. Um, and I and, I, and that's why I think that baseball will come around. They will figure it out. There's always going to be a voice like Blake Snell's. There's always going to be a voice that uh, um, you know. There's going to be a lot of voices that people don't agree with. Um, you know, the only thing I would say about the Blake Snell thing, guys, is if if any of us were still employed. I mean, I'm, I'm still employed. But most of you guys are retired, but. Just th- just think about if, if, I was. if someone came to you and said, <laughs> "I want you to take, I want you to put your life at risk, and I, but I want you to take half your salary to do it. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna work just as hard as you always have, but you're gonna take half your salary to do it. Oh, by the way, in addition, you're gonna put your life at risk. I don't care if you make a million family. dollars a year, ten million dollars a year, or twenty thousand dollars a year. You're being compensated well. That's asking a lot. That. So think of it from that perspective when you before you go beat up on Blake Snell. But um, you know, so just look at it from that standpoint, guys. 
Roy, thank you very much. As Roy, always, uh, first good. half hour is always very exciting, and I'm glad to have you join us, that's for sure. As I said, Doug Fernandez uh, wrote a terrific column this week, uh, actually last Friday, uh, about the Scooter Gannett, and uh, it really touches on all phases of what we've been talking about the first half hour. You're talking about a young man that graduated from high school, was an outstanding athlete, decided to become a pro baseball player, was very successful, became a baseball player, and uh, a couple of injuries the last couple of years, uh, we'll let Doug really explain it for you. The last couple of years he was traded twice because of a groin injury, and uh, now he's sitting on the sidelines. And yet this is a very competitive young man that's played 10 years of Major League Baseball. Doug, maybe you'd explain your story, how you got to, to decide to do this, and uh, where does he stand now? Is he on the sidelines, and what's he going to do? Well, you know, I covered, I've been here for 34 years. I, I was here when you had hair, Henderson. That's how long I've been here. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! Uh, what? Oh, uh, I'm here all week, folks. Uh, no, the... Uh, and I covered Scooter in high school. And Scooter was a good player. He wasn't on, on, on the all-time list of Sarasota Salem players, but he was a good, solid player. Was taken the 16th round right out of high school uh, by the Brewers. And yeah, he, you know, he's only five nine, five ten, to be very gracious. And basically, he's a hard-nosed guy. He's a prickly guy. I, you know, a guy that size to make it in the major leagues, you have to be that way. You can't be Mr. Nice Guy. You're not going to be given any breaks when people look at you at your 5'10". And you're not going to be given a second look. So he's proven himself. And but the thing is, you know, he's, he uh, signed with uh, Milwaukee. And then he left Milwaukee and went to the Reds. But he's been playing under a one-year deal every year. He's played seven years in the majors. But he's never gotten like a five-year deal or a four-year deal or a three-year deal. He's been playing basically year to year. So a couple of years ago, he took the Reds to arbitration, and he won. And he earned a salary of like $5.8 million. And then he had 2018, which was a year after he hit the four home runs in a game. Remember that? In 2017, he hit the four home runs in a game, which really, you know, burst him upon the country. It was like, who's the Scooter Jeanette guy? And the next year, right. he had an all-star year. He had 300. He had 21 home runs. He led the NL and put outs for second baseman. Really, really good year. He signed, avoided arbitration with the Reds, signed a contract one year for $9.6 million. So he got a nice little bump there. But in spring training last year, he was in the outfield on a shift. And because uh, he's a second baseman, he's a right field. And he went the turn on a ball hit to his left. And the ball veered, and he planted his leg. And his body moved, and his leg didn't. Basically, what he did was he tore. The, bo- the groin, the, the muscle from the bone. It was like pretty much the worst kind of groin injury you can have. It's what Nomad Garcia had several years ago with the Dodgers. You know, he was uh, in the batter's box and he was, uh, he was running short first. Uh, and he, he basically, he ripped the bone, the muscle from the bone. Uh, well, that's what happened to Scooter. And, you know, he had surgery. He was out three months. He came back last year. Uh, he said, the Reds didn't rush me. He says, I wanted to play. It was my decision, but he wasn't ready. And he only hit 220. Uh, the, the end of the year was coming. The Reds wanted to look at somebody else, released him. Uh, you know, they weren't beholden to any money this year. So they released him, 
Last year, they released him. They traded him to the Giants for a player to be named later. So he goes to the Giants, and he's, he's there for 20 games, doesn't do much better, and then the Giants in late August just released him. You know, they had a young guy they wanted to look at, and uh, the end of the season, house cleaning, so they got rid of Jeanette. Now, what happened is, you know, the offseason came, and he got healthy, uh, and when free agency rolled around, he was expecting teams to come back, you know, with an offer of, like, uh, you know, four and a half, five million dollars a year, maybe with some incentives, but, you know, have a guarantee. And he said he was shocked. The best offer he got was only $1.5 million with $500,000 in incentives. And his point being, uh, you know, to, to people out in the street, that's a ton of money. But to a professional athlete who made $9.6 million just two years ago, I mean, he basically said, you're asking me to stop it on over 200 days a year. When you factor in street training, it's over 200 days a year. These guys work out 365. You want me to strap it on, and you want me to commit myself for that amount of money? He said, I'm just going to do it. And he's only 30 years old. Right now, he's on the side. Yeah, he says, if I play this year for one year, I have a good year. So what, now I'm 31 next year? And what, now I'm too old? I'll never get that long-term deal. So right now, he is on the sidelines. I think he thinks he's not coming back. And uh, he's going to work out, uh, you know, with the sailor baseball team. Once they start practicing, they'll go over there and help them. But right now, his career is pretty much over because he's, he's not getting a contract he thinks he deserves or he's worth. So let's go back to the guys around the panel now because, uh, you know, we've been talking baseball uh, for a long, long time, and this shows you what the game is really all about. I mean, uh, as you talked about the, the draft location when he came out of high school, the fact that he was able to develop himself into that kind of a player – but boy, oh boy, it's a short-lived game, and and uh, uh, fellas, uh, you know, the Major League Baseball doesn't have any sympathy for for a guy that had a groin pull and uh, had a bad year last year. That, that that's well, the way it, it is. Was, it was, that's baseball. Was, well, it was more than the groin pull. Like I said, this was the worst. I mean, he tore the muscle off the bone, so I could see where some teams would be hesitant to throw big money at him. They he wants guaranteed money, and they're not giving it to him. So if they cut him in training camp, that's it. He gets nothing except a meager signing bonus. Nothing is guaranteed. And he just thinks that he deserves at least that for being a seven-year veteran who had an all-star year two years ago. Didn't he have a guaranteed contract, Doug, uh, previously uh, a couple of years ago when he was uh, the all-star? Oh, so yeah. I mean, he, he, Oh yeah, that that nine when he when he played for nine million, uh, you know he only played in a few games, but he got paid the entire amount. And the year before, he got his full five point eight million, and he played one hundred fifty eight games. But now they're not they, 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 the contract they're offering him isn't guaranteed. It's not like what most major league contracts are, and a lot of NFL contracts are now. That there's no security and there's no incentives. He says, give me some incentives. They're like reachable incentives. If I hit 20 home runs, give me another $2 million. If I make this amount of plays in the field, give me another million. So they're not really giving him any – they're not incentivizing the contract at all. So he feels really missed right now. I know Scooter. He's a very competitive guy, very prickly guy. And he, he, he feels upset right now. He's going to stick to his guns, I think. Frank? Oh. Uh. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, listen, guys. Uh, people, people complain. People, 
with a guaranteed contract out of your performance in camp. Don't have one going in. Uh, but you're, you're an athlete. You want to have that sort of uh, cushion. You don't want mm-hmm. to go prove yourself in training camp when you're 30 years old. You're not 19 years old. You know, you have a resume. You shouldn't have to do that. So you can look at it both ways. If you're, if you're confident in your abilities, go there, bang it up. They'll sign you to the, a contract you like, and you go from there. If you screw up and they release you, then you, you couldn't cut the mustard. But, uh, you know, training camp is open, and he's sitting at home at his home in Paris here, which is right next to Sarasota. He's going to think that I should be out there playing. He's a man of principle, though, so he, he, he's going to stick to his guns. Well, that's the reason we asked Doug to come on tonight was because this is the realization of baseball. People people don't really understand uh, what baseball is like every other business. And, uh, you know, you look at a player, and, and uh, this happens to be one scooter, just happens to be one that uh, really overachieved. And uh, then, unfortunately, the injuries. But the realization of baseball is that's the way it is. And, exactly. and owners don't have any, uh, I should say, owners because they don't make the decisions. General managers and scouts make the decisions. But uh, uh, it's just for the youngsters that are listening across the country tonight uh, to know that this is the realization of the game. This is, this is what you sign up for, and this is why so many people say, look, if you have a chance to go to college, go to college. Because uh, anything can happen from the time you're 18 and say you're 22 or 23 or 24 and uh, what happens to you then? Then what do you do? So, uh, and Scooter happens to be somebody that overcame that. He was successful, but now he's, he's right out there with everybody else. He's fighting his way back. Yeah, but one thing about Scooter is, and I, I, you know, I could talk to these guys because I've known them forever. I said, you probably have the first dollar you ever made, don't you? You know, he made $20 million over seven major league seasons. So the guy, he just recently got married. He has no kids. And I said, what do you do with your money? You know, he bought some properties, rental properties. He spread his money out. So he's not hurting for cash. I'm sure he, he manages money wisely. Uh, $20 million, that should set you up pretty much for the rest of your life, I would think, if you do it correctly. So, uh, uh, but you want to see him out there. And listen, he tweeted my story. He put it on his uh, Twitter account. And he was a lot of fans in Cincinnati because he was getting responses like, we love you, Scooter, we love you, come back. The Milwaukee fans were saying, we miss you, come back, because he's a spot plug. He's a gritty, five foot ten guy, like a Dustin Pedroia, probably without, without as much talent. Just a guy who will bust it every time he goes out there. And those are the kind of guys that fans like because they're giving yep. him their money's worth. Well, Doug, I want to thank you very much for spending 15 minutes with us and chatting about it as well as chatting about baseball and the possibility uh, in, a, in a couple of word answer. Uh, when do you expect it to start? Are you looking at July 4th start? Uh, J- July 4th, and I can see July 4th, ESPN will have five games like they do for every opening day game, and there will be either no fans in the stands or there'll be like 15,000 fans separated by two rows each. It's going to be a weird feeling, guys. It's going to be a weird setting. It really is. Doug, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And we'll catch up with you down the road. Yes, thank Give you, Doug. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Pleasure. See you, guys. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Fellas, I oh, just that's... want to tell you, uh, I was re- reading this a little earlier. 
the Catholic Cathedral in Atlanta, uh, Christ uh, Cathedral of Christ the King, what they are doing is having people, and the deadline is tomorrow, uh, to call in uh, or email in or whatever and get a reservation uh, for whatever mass they want to go to this Sunday. Uh, I guess actually beginning Saturday night. And then that way, I guess they will be assigned a seat. So, you know, if you have husband and wife, you're going to have uh, two together. But, uh, I, I mean, isn't that interesting about how that's just one other essential uh, business, which I agree with, uh, that uh, they're, that's the way they're going to control it with reservations in the church. Yeah. Right, Roger. They had a picture of the paper today. I'm sure most everybody saw it down here. I don't know about up in your area, but uh, they roped off certain pews, uh, and and uh, they're going to adhere to the uh, you know the six foot uh, uh, separation, and uh, they're only going to be able to use so many different pews in so many different sections, and uh, to try to get uh, the churches back open again. Whether they're going to be successful with that, uh, I don't know, but that's what they're going to try to do. We'll see. Had a big picture of where they had it all the pews roped off today, so that you can see what they were actually going to do, and we'll see what happens. And what, we what's certainly what's will. so done? My travels this past week, it was just people who don't care anymore. They don't wear their masks. They don't wear anything around their mask or anything like that. You know, stores are nothing, and you know they guys start, you know, start, you know, going by the rules. And church is a, it's a great place, place to worship, but. You could have the same crazy people in there will try to get their seats and will try to get all their seats down there. They won't buy to the six to the six uh, to the six feet rule. I watch on I watch church on TV. It's the only thing it's safe. Because these people out there, Don, they don't they don't they don't apply to anybody out there. I mean they don't, they don't uh, let's get better. back to our let's get back to our next guest. I did not hear Frank on the intercom, so I'll let Frank introduce our next guest now. Uh, Don, we have a, a, a one of my personal favorites, a the guy I had a chance to, to see when I, in my youth, I, I wish, maybe my youth. Nobody's alive that long ago. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, when I was born, dirt wasn't dry yet, but that's okay. Um, our, our, our next guest is, was a tremendous uh, goalie. He played for the Flyers. He played for the Penguins. He played for the Jersey Devils. Uh, he's a... a a fantastic uh, color, for, for color man for uh, hockey, uh, the Bobby the Chief Taylor. There he is. Well, Bobby, welcome again to the show. We haven't chatted in quite a while, and uh, I'll tell you, we've been talking hockey in the first half hour uh, quite a bit. Uh, some of your observations, because you're closer to it than all of us, so you know more than we do. So when, when Frank says something about the youth, I thought I saw that. Remember that movie, uh, Utes? What's a Ute? Remember, uh, I forget that. Yeah. My cousin Vinny. Yeah. My cousin Vinny. Yeah. My cousin Vinny, yeah. And I kept saying, youth. You know, he was, a, uh, he was a youth. He's just a youth. And I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you. Chief, um, you Chief, I got one question for you. How's your golf game going all this time off we unfortunately had with, the, with no hockey? Oh, you know what, Tommy? I, and I was telling him on, before we came on the air there, uh, the first 45 days, I uh, I was with I was living with the warden, and she would only let me take the dogs for a walk, and then take <laughs> and then I could drive a 
I could drive her to the grocery store, and I wasn't allowed to go in with her. I had to wait in the car. And like I told Frank, she didn't even crack the window for me, for gosh sakes, when she oh. went into the store. So I'm calling PETA. I was going to call PETA on her. <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, but, no, you know what? The funny um, – I, I really haven't played a whole lot, but uh, when they started to loosen up, you know, like Peckham has been playing three times a week, and – Wow. You know, Rick's a really, really, Rick's a really good player, as you well know, Tommy. But I know. so we finally got out and played a few times, and and I played about maybe five or six times in the last three weeks. But um, wow. actually, it's one. I have a friend that tells me Chief has a great nine and a bad nine, and we're not sure which one it's going to be. So that's what happens: <laughs> oh. good nine and bad nine. Sometimes it's the front, sometimes it's the back. You know. So other than that. Well, uh, it was nice to get out of the house, though, believe me. Right. Well, Bobby, two uh, questions in one. Uh, number one, uh, uh, getting it back with the way they've set the tournament up, uh, are you uh, in favor of the way they did it? And number two, if they do have to play with nobody in the stands, how is that going to affect the game, do you think? You know what, Don, I, you know, this is what I don't understand. I mean, uh, and you know, and I, I, we we all have been kind of following, and I've been following. And one of the players said to me, said there, and they didn't identify him, but he said, you know what? He says, seventy five percent of the joy of winning the cup is being able to lift it over your head and parade it around the rink that you wanted in your hometown rink, and and to get the excitement on it. Not you know, I mean, unless they pump in music and, and cheering like they do for these sitcoms, you know, it's mm-hmm. going to be really weird. To, for that, and uh, I, I never thought of that. I'm thinking, you know what? You're right. I mean, when we won the cup, it wasn't such a big deal. Uh, we couldn't when we won the first one against Boston. You went, oh, we couldn't even move out there. The people jumped on the <laughs> ice, and, and you know, and we, we we hardly even got to do that. And in fact, uh, Karen's Campbell just he was feared for his life. He gave us the cup and ran off the ice. You know, and that old guy couldn't <laughs> he couldn't even run with a walker he, on he his hand. He thought Schultz was going to get him. Exactly. So. <laughs> It, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I'm just happy that they're gonna they're gonna do something. I was sh- I was really surprised though that they that they're gonna end the season and just get right into the playoff situation and and the round robin of it and all. And and um, I I know that uh, one of the things that the uh, why the Lightning uh, voted against the players did was because you know when you play that we're gonna play the four teams are gonna play for the seeds. Now I don't know if you have to if you're gonna play every team. Or let's put it this way. Let's, this is the scenario I was wondering about. You've got Boston at, at number one, and you've got Philly at number four. Are they? And then we got us at two, Washington at three. Would they have Philly and Boston play, us and Washington play? Then the winner would play, and then whoever wins that, are they going to be number one? The loser of that last one is two, and the and the, uh, the winner three and four that way. Or are you going to have to play? all three teams, and then whomever has the best record against all three teams is going to go one, two, and three, and four. And that's the one thing I wasn't clear on. Roger? Yeah, well, the, you hear a lot of things, Bobby. And, by the way, our good friend Tom Williams was on last week from down at the shore, and, of course, uh, he was asking about you, you know, how you're doing <laughs> You know, so uh, there's another one of uh, us old timers that were around then. <laughs> He's a good man, but, good man. Please say hello to him when you yeah, talk to him is. again. I will, I will. And uh, 
But you know, what do you? Uh, when do you think they'll have this worked out? Or maybe n- nobody knows until like it'll be D Day when they'll have the structure worked out exactly what how they're going to handle everything. Well, first of all, they're going to have to decide where they're going to play. Now, when I was listening to Bettman, from what I understand, what he said. And uh, I wonder if he was in a booster chair anyway when he was doing it uh, on camera. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think he was. <laughs> yeah, there's only going to be one city in the West and one city in the East, and all the games are going to be played in those two cities. So uh, you know what? They haven't even decided that yet. Uh, you know, I I thought that they were going to have a couple of sites, but according to what, and unless I interpret it wrong, what he said. They're going to have one seed city in the West and one seed city in the East, and everybody will be playing their games there. So, Bobby, uh, that's what you yeah. said at the top of the show. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I don't – it blows my mind about that. I, I don't understand that. And you can bet one of them is going to – if that's the case, then the East is going to be Toronto. You know, they're, they're going to have Toronto. And in the West will be – I keep hearing Edmonton, and I keep saying, well, why would you have it in, in Canada? But then – you know, when you look at the television, um, you know, one of the things that we have to look at, too, is the revenue. Like, our sport isn't like – we don't have that great television contract nationwide like they do in right. football, basketball, and baseball. So I think something like 70 to 75% of the revenue that we generate as a sport comes from ticket sales. So mm-hmm. I know that right. they're just – they're going to try to recoup some of that money, but – is it all going to be all national television that's going to carry all the games? Will will the local uh, uh, sub- suppliers of the of the games throughout the year are they going to get anything in on this? You know, are, are, can they do anything about it? I don't know. That uh, that's the one thing that hasn't been really mentioned, and that's one of the reasons. And you know what? To be honest with you, I think one of the big reasons for this playoff format and and, and this play in format has been the draft. I hear mm-hmm. the, the draft has been who gets the like you know they're going to say those seven teams that aren't in in, in the in the playoff picture at all they're all going to get seated you know uh, weighted anyway when they draw the ping pong balls out to the top three picks the number one pick number two pick number three pick but then they're only going to have the number one pick there and then when that thing's over then the teams that lose are going to go back into the pot to to mm. get it so it's. I think the biggest thing about this whole thing is is trying to figure out the draft order, and uh, because you know, I mean, you take a look. Ottawa's got two two draft picks in the top five. You know, mm-hmm. this is supposed to be a good, really a good year for in the draft. And you know, if you got some pretty good uh, picks or and, and you get some pretty good players coming two years, you're going to be a competitive team. These teams that missed the playoffs this year. Chief, let me Wait, ask what? you this. When we uh, started the season this year, we talked about the Lightning and can show after show after show how much pressure is on Coop, how much pressure is on the Lightning for what happened last year. And now, with what has happened now with the virus, and now going into this tournament, how much more pressure do the Lightning <laughs> players and coaches have than what they would have had if it was a normal season? Um, you know what? I, we got a built. They got a built-in excuse now, Don. <laughs> They'll say, "Well, we never had enough time to prepare. We never had enough games." You know, everybody. I mean, the, the point of it is, is that um, 
Uh, it's a different. This team's got a little bit of a different makeup right now. I think the guys that they added um, uh, in the off season or in during the season, even at the trading deadline, uh, have a, they've got a little bit more grit and determination. Uh, the, the thing is, too, they went through that. The bulk of this team went through what they did last year. And let's face it, you know, they they were they were just awful. That that four game sweep with Columbus and. Um, you know, it, it was one of those things where, and, 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 I, and I think the coaching staff has to take some blame too because they never made any adjustments. They never made any adjustments. They just thought well, we're just going to do like we did the whole season and outscore mm-hmm. teams. We're going to beat them six five seven six five four. But you know what? In the playoffs, we all know that everything drops down. And the funny part of it is for me is that year in uh, when Chicago beat us in fifteen in the finals. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there was, I don't know, I think three goals was the whole, most anybody scored in one game, one team. And so you, they should know that you're not going to have that high-scoring thing. But you, I don't know if they couldn't get it through to the guys or the guys kept thinking that, we, you know, we've done this all year long where all of a sudden we're down and then we come back and we and we score four goals in the third period, you know, and, and uh, we win it. So I think they finally, you know, when you face that, kind of a situation and you really get your lunch handed to you, uh, I think you kind of start thinking, you know what, we we can't do that. We have to be different. And I think I thought for a great part of the year, I thought they had really started to adjust to that. Uh, they were trying to, to shut teams down rather than just outscore them. And, and, and that was a better sign for me watching them all year long and, and, and covering them all year long than it was the year before when you know, and, and if you think about it, the year before, guys, we we were like in the top seven or eight teams of the most shots given up per game. Right. And we had that record year, and we gave up so many shots on goal. And, um, you know, we relied on Vasilevsky to really bail us out in a lot of situations. We won a lot of games that we were had no business of winning, mainly because of his play. And I think they learned from that. And, and uh Let's put it this way. As I'm telling you and talking to you this, I got both fingers crossed and hopefully Cal <laughs> that they do understand that going into the playoff. Let's, let's, hope, you're, let's hope you're right, Chief. I mean, it's uh, but it, it's funny because when I heard I watched that much thing today too, oh, Chief, and he and he's going to have the I think they're heading for Minnesota to Columbus. If they play Columbus, the Port Lightning's got to play up in Columbus, and that's not very good. That's not a very good building up there. But I, I still think. You know, we're, we got a chance to win the cup. We're going to win the cup right now. We're rested. It's good that this, this um, virus thing helps Stamkos right now be healthy right now. And I think we have something to prove in the playoffs this year. I don't care. It's a round robin. I think we'll bring home the cup this year, buddy. We won't be a big parade, but we'll bring it home. We'll bring it home and bring that cup back to back to Tampa Bay where it belongs. I hope you're right, Tommy. You know, an interesting thing, guys. I'll give you a footnote to last year. Um, Columbus came into into Tampa, what a week, maybe two weeks before the end of the season, not long, and uh, we played. And of course, you know, we go down to see Torts. Uh, there's Andy, Andrew, Chuck, myself, and Rick Peckham. We go down to see Torts, and we're talking about it. And and Torts said, you know what? He says one of the things that I'm a li- I'm concerned. He says, and believe me, I don't want this to happen to them. But one of the things I'm concerned is that you guys have never faced any adversity the whole year. And I'd like mm-hmm. to know how you're going to respond if there's some adversity. And um, 
And uh, right. I told him, I says, well, towards the yeah, we did face adversity a couple of times. Uh, there was a couple of games we only scored two goals. And he looked at me and he says, you're such a bleep, 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 you know. And he was laughing because I, cause we used to get into it all the time because we, we would get so uh, focused on winning. And then uh, Jeff Reese and Craig Ramsey would always have to uh, arrange a golf, turn, a golf game after that season was over so Torch and I could kiss and make up because <laughs> we'd be laughing <laughs> at each other all year long. But. He was, well, Bobby, you, you, right. you still have, even though uh, you've been down here a long time working with the Lightning, no question about that, in the booth, and then, of course, the pre- and post-game shows and all the rest of the things. And, but it's still a little bit of your heart on those championship and Stanley Cup teams in Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia. And What do you think about the Flyers? Because uh, from about mid-season until the thing was shut down for the virus, they were coming on like gangbusters, and they have a young goalie, uh, I don't know how much chance you get to see him because you're working all the time, but they have a young goalie that really did an outstanding job. That's the key, Don. I'm telling you, that's the key. They finally got a goalie. You know, and, I, yeah. and it's really funny. Bobby Clark and I are really good friends, and, and uh, we we had a, a lot of discussions too and, and, and ones that have different opinion, like, he would think, well, you know, the goalie is just another position, and I keep saying, Whitey, we don't we don't win the Stanley Cup without Bernie. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Bernie right. was unbelievable against Boston, and 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 in fact, Kenny Hodge lives down here now too, and I could I always bust on him when we get out to play golf of those two great uh, toe skate saves that he made on Hodge, you know, to preserve yeah. that two one victory for us, and and then that shuts him up pretty quickly, but <laughs> and. <laughs> The thing of it is, is that, you know what, that's the key to that team. That team, you know, and this game is so different now than we played. They're really a strong face-off team. So that gives them a power play that's, or a penalty kill that's really strong because you always get to start your power play in the offensive zone. So if you win the face-off, you stay in the zone. You don't have to worry about getting the fuck in there. You get more time in the offensive zone. You don't have to worry about having to come back into the zone on a consistent basis. I, I just think that that young kid uh, has just been a world of difference for Philadelphia, and, and he's, he's going to be a big difference maker for them uh, in, in well, those Bernie playoffs. told me that you taught him everything he knew. I know. Right. You know there what? you go. Thing, and guess what, Don? I used to bug him all the death. I said, Bernie, you couldn't catch a cold. You can't even catch the puck. You blocked the puck. You should have two blockings <laughs> rather than a catching club. He said, but he had the greatest, the greatest, greatest feet in the world, boy. I'll tell you what. He was the best in the world of those those two years before he got that eye injury. And and, uh, and you couldn't find a better person than Bernie Perron. Oh, exactly. is he still a big fisherman? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, he's really oh are you kidding me? And and he's still wacky as ever because when whenever we would go into the room when we come in the room, we sat side by side for years, Ben smelled everything. Like if I bring in the paper, he had to smell the paper, the brand new paper. If you got new <laughs> shoes, he had to smell the new shoes. I'm looking at him and says, You are really wacky. <laughs> and, well, most goalies are a little wacky. I like left footed pitchers. I know, I know, Don. That's what I'm saying. I says, you know what, Ben? You're just really, really dumping on everybody, knowing that the goalies are really wacky. You are just proving <laughs> it that we are. <laughs> Tommy, hey, for a couple of days with um, 
you know, playing under the late Fred Shero. And I saw the Broad Street Bowie several times and there's, during this virus up there. I like what you said about Bernie. He smells my shoes. He <laughs> 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 that, and I remember that. Well, I never know oh, he is. Yeah, uh, Ben. Ben is a hoot. I'll tell you what. He really is a hoot. And I told him, you know what, guys? As he got older, he really looked like that. Uh, no, I'm, uh, that that famous author that was lived in Key West. You know that uh, uh, Hemingway. 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 I am down in Key West with my wife and we're going to this this bar where he used to go to imagine that I went to a bar and he um, and it had this huge 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 painting of Hemingway over the bar and I looked at it and I go Jan you know what I think Bernie's been down here fishing because they've got an oil painting of him over the bar that's him right there and it would he looked, he looked more like Hemingway than he than Hemingway did and I've always called him I said Ben I'm telling you, you could really make a lot of money if you just passed yourself off as Hemingway coming back from the dead and make a lot of public appearances. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, Bobby, that uh, maybe you touch on. You've been around the game such a long time, known so many coaches. Uh, did you ever meet or work with anybody like Freddie Shiro? Oh, gosh, no. You know what? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I'll tell you what. I mean, I played, uh, you know, seven years with Philly or six and a half, whatever the case may be, but I can remember Freddie never talked to me. You know, he, he, he rarely, rarely talked to me. So when when I retired and I came back to Philly from Pittsburgh and uh, I did the TV for Prism and everything, he would come and seek me out to talk to me before the game. And I would look at him and the funniest thing, and I, I'd, I'd look at him like, why are you doing this now? <laughs> he says, well, he says, he simply says, he says, well, you goalies, you're a little different, he says. So I didn't want to even bother you at all. I said back then. <laughs> uh, but he would come and talk well, to you. Explain, to some, you of the, explain to some of our listeners across the country that uh, never heard of French Shiro. Don't they? Oh. When he had the blackboard there, nobody could interpret what the hell was going on. Oh, no. And he used to jump on Joe Watson all the time. And because he, <laughs> cause Joe would be – Joe wasn't too sure about what the hell Freddie wanted to ask her about. But I can remember the time, and you guys remember this, uh, This, uh, and I think we talked about this a couple of years back, Donnie, is the fact that we're NBC had the games back then, right? And it was Sunday right. afternoon, and we, we, we had come in from the West Coast, and we were playing Boston Sunday afternoon. It was the big NBC game of the week and everything. And Tim Ryan and Ted Lindsay were the, were the play-by-play and color ad, uh, analysts. And, um, everybody was talking, and they advertised it all week long. Uh, the, the Broad Street Bullies and Bernie Perron against Bobby Orr and the Big Bad Bruins, and all down there. They find out that I'm playing that game. So, so and guys, guys, I hadn't played in eight weeks. Eight weeks <laughs> play the game. So they're looking all over for Cheryl, trying to figure out why they're doing this way. They find him sitting on the Zamboni in the old Boston Garden having a camel. Sitting there having a camel. Everybody's yelling and screaming at him. And Freddie, before he ever talked, he always had to push those glasses up his bridge of his nose. And and then everybody, everybody hushed, you know, like Moses is talking. Hushed. He said, 
It's his turn. It's my turn. <laughs> you can't say it was wrong. <laughs> no, he couldn't. Well, Bert, Bernie never wanted, never played in Boston. And you know what? Like, Phil Espo and I uh, are pretty good friends from down here. We get together a lot. In fact, we're going to Boken Grand tomorrow uh, for his condo down there. But he, we were laughing about that. And he says, you know what, Chief? You said you always play. And I says, yeah, you know what, you SOB? You're in the Hall of Fame because I, you scored all those damn goals against me every time we played there. That's the only way you got the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'll tell you, when he, sometimes when he, he comes on again, we'll have to tell, about, tell that story about him bringing him out of the hospital on, on the gurney. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you can't, you yeah. can't do that oh, stuff yeah. anymore. No, you can't. And, and you know what? When you get, if you do get him on, Don, ask him about the time when they were in, in Russia in the 72 series. And him and Cash were drinking Russian vodka, and they were trying to find the bugs in the room. And they they were pushing around the the, the carpet, and they found this lump in the carpet. They turned it up, and it's the screw type of a thing on here. So they unscrewed it. It was the chandelier to the dining room below in the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> the chandelier oh, yeah. And it, and it <laughs> went through, right? Yeah. Smashed up. The they had it cleaned up by eight o'clock in the morning when we had our we had our breakfast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's a that's a classic. I think in all honesty, oh, uh, you, yeah, you mentioned he, you mentioned he, Boston he, Garden. Uh, I always thought the two best places to uh, to see games or broadcast games were the Boston Garden. I'm forgetting the spectrum momentarily, but the Boston yeah. Garden in Chicago. I, I thought Chicago oh, was oh. unbelievable, and the Boston yeah. Garden boy, oh boy, did they love hockey and did they love those Bruins. Oh man, and you're right on top of it. The old old guard, they had those right. little wooden balconies they built on the side of the of the facade of the up the upper deck. So you're like 25 feet from the ice. It was awesome, you know. And I mean, you had to order for the visiting the camera, team. Yeah, and you had to duck when the camera was moving though, because <laughs> if you didn't duck, the camera would be wacky, and they had the game camera. So it was. Uh, Oh yeah, that was a great place to play, and I got and when I played, I got to play there a lot. So it was a, one of my favorite spots. Uh, Bobby, I got to tell you, a, a couple of weeks ago we had Ray Dinger on. Of course, you know Ray. Oh yeah, and, Ray. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he and I were big, and and you probably aren't even familiar with them, uh, the Philadelphia Ramblers, which played yeah. in the Eastern Hockey League. You remember the Ramblers? And yeah, because the, uh, they moved, I, yeah they moved over to become the Cherry Hill De- uh, uh, Devils. The, the I, Cherry I Hill thing in the Eastern League. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and they, back in the fifties, uh, mid the late fifties, before you know the Flyers ever existed, uh, the goalie yeah. was Ivan Wamsley, and I, I found the page. picture. Oh, there you go. Well, you're a goalie too. See and. I found yeah. the picture and I sent it to Ray and well I sent it to Don Frank and Tommy too t- today mm-hmm. and Ray said he'll that picture he'll never forget because it was either him or Rocky Ruckavina that was on the front page of the program <laughs> at the arena for the Ramblers. <laughs> but anyway, you know it brought I, back uh, great well, memories. Oh. We were talk. It's funny because uh, when we get together, we talk about some of the old stories. And I can remember playing for the New Jersey Devils in the old Eastern League there at the Cherry Hill Arena. And, um, <laughs> you know, we had like 12 guys and then uh, one goalie. And your trainer 
was your goalie, was your backup goalie. And our trainer, uh, Warren Elliott, and Warren was the nicest man in the world, but Warren was a little bit older. He was just late 40s. And, uh, you know, if anything happened to the goalie, Warren had to go in. Well, we're, I, I forget who we were playing, but anyway, you know, we didn't wear masks back then. So I got hit right. in the head with the puck. And I go down, and they come in and like this, and um, our doc- doctor, and I told him, I says, listen, just, you know what, you could stitch me up after the game. Just put about four butterflies on it, and I'll be going, I'll go back out. They said, you yeah. says, yeah, what the hell? I mean, what, what's going on? Well, you can't. So anyway, I go back out. And remember um, the old show, Laugh-In, and, and one of the guys, that character that uh, he dressed up as an old man, and he rode that little kid's tricycle, and all of a sudden that tricycle would just fall over. I'm sitting there waiting for a face-off, and I just fell over like that old guy and laughing on the, tri- on the tricycle. Bang. And they, they, they oh, take me off. Yeah, and they, and, and so I pat I, I, and they're looking for Warren. Well, as soon as I got hit in the head, Warren took off. Our trainer, he took off. <laughs> he never came back to the rink for two days. <laughs> well, Bobby, that, that, that happened once this year, didn't it? I mean, didn't, the, didn't somebody come off the Zamboni oh, this year and have to come in and play and then won the game? Yeah, yeah, in Toronto, they had. In fact, yeah. they did. Yeah, and the and the biggest thing is because both goalies got hurt. Well, they you know back right. then we only had one goalie, and Warren left for two days, and they never came back. And so we had to put Jamie Kennedy, Forbes Kennedy's younger brother, in the oh. net there. And it was re- it was a fun. Oh my gosh, I was laughing. They couldn't say well, where's where's Warren? Where's Warren? <laughs> when you guys were playing, the, the third goalie, if anybody got hurt, wasn't it Frank Lewis? Yeah, that's exactly right. It was our trainer, Frank Lewis. He was. Trainer, Frank Lewis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. He was the one. Bobby, how about, you just mentioned a moment ago, how about playing, I, I remember Life Magazine years ago, before your time, and and uh, they had goaltenders on the cover, and they'd show how many stitches and what they had. What was it really like playing without a mask? I mean, it, it just seems to me almost impossible that uh, somebody, I mean, you get a lot of cuts, but it just seems impossible if somebody would really hurt. Oh, yeah. it's You know what? We didn't know any different. That was the big thing. Like, I never, I just actually started wearing a mask like it was like the year before in Quebec with the, with the, with the Aces before I came up to Philly. And, um, you know, there were times when you're, you know, how you're trying to look around players and seeing for the shots so you didn't get screened. And all of a sudden you look around and here comes the puck. You're going, oh, that one's going to really leave a mark. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I can, there's, there's a lot of times that that, that happened. And, and um, when we won, a, this is another story about that. When we won the cup, I, somebody stole my mask off the bench. Because I'd had oh. my gloves and my mask at the back of the uh, at the back of the bench, and of course, you know, we're so excited. We jump on the ice. We're hot, we're going like crazy, and the, the game and everything. Somebody stole my mask, oh. and uh, so and back then, it's not like now where you, every goalie has like three masks and three sets of equipment and everything. And you know, we had one set of, of pads that were deer hair stuffed, and uh, by the end of the year. You know, all the stuffing from the, uh, well, the pads got all the way down to your ankles. So your ankles never got hurt, but your knees took a beating. <laughs> we looked like Popeye's forearms down there. <laughs> the funny part, I, so I go out and said, well, you know what, what the heck? I played my whole life almost without a mask. So I went out to practice for five minutes without the mask. 
I said, he ain't going back out there, Freddie. I got to go back in. I'm not going out there without a match. And then they 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 put a big uh, thing in the in the paper about the mask and everything. If somebody would, because you couldn't make one back then, and uh, in that quick a time, and uh, he if somebody left it in on the in down, you know when you went down the old spectrum down those steps through right by the ticket office there through those doors, right? right. That that's where they left the mask, and so I got it back like uh, two days after that. It was it was crazy. Wow. <laughs> I'll tell you, you'd have been a heck of a lot better goalie if you had all that equipment they have now. They almost oh, cover man. the whole net. It's like RoboCop. You know, you know, yeah. I, I, I would tell it, we, Dwayne Rolofson, you know, one of the greatest guys going, and he played really well for us way back in the day in 04. No, 03. It was when, when Rolling mm-hmm. came in. But he, um, he's like, gosh, he was, you know what, he could hide behind a broom. He was so skinny. And, you know, he'd get out of that game there, and he and he looked like RoboCop. I mean, he had all this equipment on there. And I'd look at him, and say, how the heck can you move with that stuff? But it was light as a feather, too, because they had all that Kelvar and all that stuff now, you know? And it was so different. It was so, so big, such a big difference. Just the equipment was so different. Tommy? Well, Chief, I think you – in that Broad Street Bowl, was everybody – everybody was all in shit, bad shit. They were in black the one day they practiced. When Rexy's burnt down. But I like well, we all that's still there. Yeah, oh, oh I know. And, and we all wore yeah, we wore black armbands to practice all there. And and, and <laughs> ABC picked up on it, I think it was. And they, they did a big thing about it. Uh international news says, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, their favorite bar burnt down, so they all wore black armbands and practiced the next day. <laughs> and, 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 and Keith Allen, who was the nicest gentleman in the world, Keith Allen. Oh, in what a great head. guy. What a great oh, guy. super oh. nice guy. And, and he come in, Chief, he said, you AAA guys, I'm telling you, why do you always have to do that? And he says, no, you just create all this this." persona of ourselves you know he says we're you know we're trying to clean it up and we look at him well, but keith it was the truth that's the pay our was our favorite place we had to do something <laughs> well i tell you when he moved up uh when he became the general manager he always sat in that first seat in the press box i sat pretty close yep. to him and uh yep. i had him on when he first came to philadelphia and i was doing the tv show i had him on uh when he was coaching then and uh oh yeah anyway what a what a what a terrific guy! You talk about a guy that knew players, a new talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was yeah. he was incredible. Yeah, you know what? He'd be a great coach today too because he was so calm. You know, Freddie would be right. too. You know, you know, a little bit different than Mike Keenan. You know, when he, <laughs> Mike, I love Mike <laughs> Keenan. I, he was, but I wasn't playing then. You know, and he he didn't he didn't like the idea that you would ease into a game. You had to come ready to play right from the opening faceoff, and if you didn't, he. He would he would bench you, you wouldn't play. And I remember talking to Mark Howe one day. We we're in New Jersey, and they're talking about these guys are playing twenty five and twenty six minutes a game. And oh my gosh, that's so many minutes. And yeah, yeah. I said, Howie, I said, yeah, how many minutes did you average? He said, Chief, the last year that I played in Philly, I averaged thirty six minutes a game. Wow. I I said. Well, you know, he was an effortless skater and everything. And, of course, he had Hexy back there, too, that actually cleared the puck better than any defenseman ever did anyway, uh, Ronnie Hextall. So 
Uh, and I go, and now these guys are, I mean, if you play 25 minutes a game now, they want to make a, they want to uh, put a statue up for you, you know, right, right along with Roger Bannister, the first guy to beat the four minute mile. <laughs> Bobby, basketball has changed so much. Hockey has changed quite a bit. Uh, the game today, how do you, how do you rate the game today uh, as opposed to whatever you do for whatever time you played? Well, you know what? We always took pride in Hockey was a tough game played by tough guys. And right. you didn't ask any quarter, and you never gave any quarter. And they're seeing us so much faster now, and it is. But what people forget is you don't have a red line anymore. So you don't have a two-line pass. When we played, you had to wait until you – because you couldn't go over the red line. Now, now it's like playing street hockey. Hey, guys, I'm open down by the Buick. Just fire the puck up to me. I'm at the Buick, and you can, we can go there, and, you know. And it, it, yeah, it, it is a faster game, mainly because there's no red line. But the guys are bigger and stronger, you know, and, and you know, the, the diet and the training methods and everything, they're so much in better shape. Our guys, were, our coaches and general managers were just happy if we got in shape by Christmas, let alone with the start of the season. So it, it, it's a different game, a different mentality, but it was a very, very tough game back then. I mean, you, if, you were, if you were scoring 40 to 50 goals back then, and, and think about this. To me, the best decade for hockey, for everything, was the 80s. You know, when Gretzky I came agree. in and you know, Mario came in. And, and you know what? We had like 30, 50 goal scores then. We still scored a lot of goals. and But you know what? It was a tough game still. It was still the tough game, and you still had to – now they're trying everything in their power to get more scoring into the game. And mm-hmm. you know what? You're, you're making it. You're making it into a game that you, you know the guys could wear tutus out there, because everything, <laughs> everything's a hard. Anything that's hard, if it's a hard hit, it goes up against the people. The referees won't call it a penalty. We'll let the well, players play basketball. The guys all they do is shoot the three-point shot now. Forty-three point exactly. shots a game. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Same deal. Gosh, oh, I know. I because I, I remember, you know. And you know what was really great about those times when we played there, you guys, is the fact that every single team in there was rooted for everybody. Like the Phillies, like, you know, Lazinski and Boa and Bobby Boone used to come into our dressing room all the time. You know, we, I played golf with Dougie Collins. Parkey and I played golf with Collins all the time. Charles Parkey, he came in reared it to the end of it. He was a big, big hockey fan. And, and, and Doc, the Doc, the doctor was to me was the most fantastic athlete I watched. I mean, him and Orr were unbelievable what they used to do. And you know, my last comment to you is you picked up another guy that came out pretty well too, and that was Doc Emmerich. What a great guy he was when he was with the Flyers, and even a greater guy now. (laughs) You're right. And and the guys from the Eagles, Tommy Dempsey and Steve Zabel, used to wouldn't even shower. They'd get over to the game so they could watch the game. And they would, they would go Tommy, Tommy Brookshire. They would go on the game. They would go on the road with us. It was it was it was oh. such a family in Philly then for all the sports teams. It was it was really really something special. Mm. Those Bobby, were the days. You're right. Yeah, they, they were. were the Bobby, I want to thank they you so much, best. Chief. It's always great. I'll tell you, it's, it's a lot of fun. Anytime we talk, I, and I say this every time I do a show, people talk to me. They say, "Well, Don, what?" When you when you work with the Flyers or when you work with any of the players in the National Hockey League, 
it's so much easier to work with them than it is almost any sport that I know That's of it. anyway. I, I, I just thought that was one Amen. of the great things about hockey. Not just because they were from Canada, because now, as Scotty Bowman told us, uh, which I couldn't believe the other last few times he was on with us, that like 75% of the players are now American, but uh, U.S. players. But, uh, I mean, you couldn't ask a player that he wouldn't help you and do whatever you wanted him to do to do an interview or whatever. They were the best. Yeah. You know why, Don? Still it's are. A privilege to be, it's a privilege to play the sport. You have to mm-hmm. have the talent, no question. You have to have you have to have, and you have to be smart enough to play it. That's the biggest thing that people don't understand. That the guys that get to this level, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, or hockey, you have to be smart because if you if you're not, you you can have all the talent in the world, but that muscle between your ears is the one that keeps you there. And um, right. I think they understand that. Guys, hockey players seem to understand that. You know that. You know, it's a, it's a privilege to, to play and it's a privilege to be in front of everybody that, that, you know, that idolizes you. So you're going to treat them like human beings. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. we all came from very average backgrounds. So what makes me better than anybody else? My dad was a janitor. So I don't make anybody any better just because I can play hockey. So, but you know what? It's a privilege to play it. And, and those years in Philly, I loved it. I'm telling you. When I moved here to, to Florida, it took me six years to get used to not being in Philly. Six years. <laughs> wow. And, you know, and I, I, missed, I missed the food. I really missed the food. <laughs> when they told sure. me it was a North oh, well. Italian restaurant, they told me go to Carabas. I go, what? Honestly, nothing against Carabas. I hope he's not a sponsor, guys. But nothing against Carabas. But, gosh, we had, all, we had South Philly. Ralph's in South Philly is one of the best Italian places in the whole world. So, you know, Dante and Luigi's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, it took me a long time to get used to it down here because I sure missed the passion and, 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 and and the, and the feel of the city in Philly. I really missed that. Yep. Bobby, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so very, very much. Uh, Uh, You were the chief. I mean, it was a lot of fun when you were in Philly. It's a lot of fun down here. And just thank you so much for your time. It's always great to have you with us. All right, guys, I really enjoyed it. You're the best, Chief. You're the best. Before you go, we have an open invitation to play Hernando Oaks, you and Mr. Peckman. You just come up and give me a call and come up and play. Not the Abbey course, Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) Hernando Oaks, they want to come up for Hernando Oaks. I know this general manager up there now, and it's a about a half hour drive just north of north of where you guys. So yeah, of course, yeah. of course, is in great shape out there. Not like going half around the country. I don't know, guys. Guys, I got to tell you this: uh, the reason why Tommy always wants us to play golf, and we have to drive an hour to go play it somewhere. I don't know how they have to find some courses. I have no idea. Bobby, that's only because he gets on free. Great, yeah, right? Free, he doesn't ask you for gas money. <laughs> What? Well, that was real money so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. Oh. Gonna use Take care. Thanks, thanks again, Bob. Great right. to be with you. All right, guys. See you. Thank you. All right, we're going to jump from hockey. Boy, we're doing it all tonight. We're going to jump down from hockey to, to uh, soccer and to also what's going on in Washington and Baltimore between the Redskins, baseball, and uh, the Ravens. So, uh, Mike, you're all set to go again. What do we got? Yeah, and I've been in quarantine so long, I forgot what day it was. 
But uh, I wish oh. I could tell you that there was more news from MLS, but uh, no. So as far as what soccer goes domestically, there's really not, not much to talk about. Uh, the German League has been playing, and there was actually a really good game on Monday between uh, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, one and two in the uh, German League. Ended up one nothing. Uh, Bayern Munich has this really young Canadian kid, um, Alfonso Davies, who was absolutely the star of this game. Everybody was talking about just how great he was playing as the left back, which is funny because he's one of the best teams in Europe as a left back. His natural position is not a defender. He's a, uh, he's a, an attacker. So it's really interesting to see how he has changed from one of the best young attackers in MLS to one of the best left, uh, left-sided left defenders in Germany. And over the course of a year, kids like 19, 20 years old. So uh, the future of the Canadian team right there. And a tribute to MLS's development. Roger? The, um, the, the MLS, as, as I see it, Mike, um, they're going to uh, start uh, working out again, or they have. And, and are they doing it locally, or are they, they going to Florida? Right now they're doing it locally. They said that they had wanted to have all the players down early in June, but it looks like they're going to push that back until late to mid-June. With still an eye on getting this tournament, however it's going to look, started around June 26th down in Orlando. The latest is that it's going to have uh, – all, uh, all the teams, and they're going to be divided into three groups of two groups of six and two groups of eight. Don't ask me how the math on that works. Two, three groups of six and one group of eight. Yeah, that's Ooh, okay. Don't ask me how the math works on that and why they're going with um, three groups of six and one group of eight versus. Uh, Three, uh, two groups of six and two groups of seven. Um, I don't understand what the, the thought process behind that for dividing 26 and the four was, but they said they're going to go with seeded groups, which means Orlando, um, LAFC, um, the Seattle Sounders are all going to be among the three seeded groups. And then I guess it'll be based on last year's records. So there, you know, the union should be near the top uh, um I, I don't know i don't know it, it's hard to well, really say oh yeah we're going to give you credit for what you did last year but and they've only really played two games this season well they only have played right. two games this season so jim uh, Curtin was on uh was on the uh news tonight mike and he was uh, the uh out of the uh, uh, uh stadium you know at their uh, complex and he was saying uh, that the one good thing is the guys are just happy to be back on the field. And, you know, that's what we were talking about earlier tonight, that it, with all the uh, different sports, the, I'm sure the players just happy to be out on the, on the field, whether there's any fans in the stands or not. What do you think? I think that, there are a lot of players who are more than happy to be out there playing. There are also still some who are a bit nervous to play. Uh, I haven't heard as much of that coming from MLS, but there's certainly been 
a few high profile players in England who have basically said, look, we're not doing this. We don't feel comfortable. We don't feel safe. We don't feel like, you know, given the physicality of the game that it's necessarily really great to be, to, to start. We've got families, we've got kids. Some of our kids are immunocompromised. Some of us have family members who are immunocompromised and we just don't necessarily think. So I think they as athletes, are basically like us as people. There are those who are rare and willing to go and excited to get out and be able to get back to what they normally do. And there are those of us who are a little, who are a little more hesitant and a little bit more concerned about, you know, health and well-being and, and stuff. So it'll be interesting to Mike, see how Mike, they hang right that. there for hang right there for a minute and uh, don't don't jump off the line because we're going to get another Baltimore in here. <laughs> Doug's been waiting by. Uh, our PGA Pro from the Baltimore area as well. And uh, we finally got some live TV, got golf going this weekend. And uh, mm-hmm. so let's bring Doug in and get some of his comments about uh, he's also a big Raven man. And uh, so we got hockey, we got soccer, we got it all going. Doug, what do you say? Well, I thought uh, I thought the golf match was, uh, obviously people responded, um, had extremely high ratings. Um, you know, I think the, the, Beginning portions of that were a little rusty for those guys. I know they endured some tough weather, but um, all in all, I thought that was a great match. Um, I thought that obviously they raised twenty million dollars uh, for charity, and um, I thought that was it was fun to watch. I thought Peyton Manning is is hilarious. Um, I thought Phil Mickelson was pretty amped up. I thought you know Tom Brady got himself going, and and uh, him and Charles Barkley were having some good banter and. Uh, um, I thought it was a great, uh, great, a great sporting event to watch. And also, you talked about the banter, uh, uh, the fact that uh, uh, Manny made such an impression. Uh, they really made a whole column again in the New York Post today about really trying to get him to get get involved in Monday Night Football. He's still saying no. Mm-hmm. He's not going to go up in the radio, in the radio or TV booth. But uh, mm-hmm. he, he said, I'm not saying no forever. I'm just saying no for right now. But uh, sure. a lot of that was based on, on how well uh, they were, he was received uh, during the match over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, he has an incredible personality and, and, and love of sports uh, in general. Um, you know, his his passion for winning and uh, you know, all the, the great players and teams and experiences. I mean, some of the uh, the in-match interviews and stories and all that stuff were phenomenal. Um, you know, I thought the the worst of the four was probably Tiger. I think he was obviously focused on winning, but he wasn't quite as, as personable as I had hoped he would be. I, I would agree with that. Roger? Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And, I, you know, I think the down I, – I watched quite a bit of it, and the thing that got me, it's a shame the weather wasn't better. Because mm-hmm. I think it would have picked the the atmosphere up, uh, not only mm-hmm. for the, the even though the viewing audience was big, I think it would have just mm-hmm. made it so much better. Yeah, I mean, playing golf in the rain is miserable, uh, but th- those guys, you know, per- persevered, and um, you know, like I said, I mean, the the beginning portions of that, I think honestly, I mean, Peyton uh, said it at the end that that both he and Tom Brady were extremely nervous, uh, clearly playing with with Phil and Tiger, legends of the game. Um, you know, there was a little bit of rust, I think, from everybody, I think, initially. But once once they started to kind of get into the match about six, seven holes in, um, 
you know, the personalities, I think, started to come out. The golf started to get better. Uh, Tom Brady hits some fabulous shots, um, and so did Peyton Manning. I mean, when you play the, the back nine, and that golf course looked, you know, extremely difficult, but, um, you know, when you're playing the ultimate like shot. Don't you think it looked a lot like punters? Yeah, and there's, there there was a lot a lot of, like, you know, the, the native areas and, and waste right. bunkers and those sorts of, a lot of water, um, but that alternate shot format is extremely difficult. Um, and I know that, that both Tom and, and Peyton are, are probably single digit handicappers, but still, I mean, to hit some of those shots, I thought were, you know, and even the, was it the 16 or 17, the par three where Russell Wilson was donating a hundred thousand uh, meals for each ball that got inside 12 feet. Well, the first three got in there, you know what I mean? And that was uh, two of those, two of those three were, were Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning dag on near made it. So, I mean, you know, they hit some quality shots there towards the end and, I think everybody had a great time, and I think obviously, you know, we're all starved for uh, the attention of sports again, and, and to see live um, action, and so that was it was a great spectacle. So, mm-hmm. that was, that was wonderful. Doug, Doug, what's your what's your uh, well, how's the, first off, how's the weather up there, and how's you play your course mm-hmm. up there? What, what's your tip for the for the player for the players up there for the like, say rains or it raining up there mm-hmm. and it gets hot? But what's your tip for the week for the players? Well, I would say, um, you know, obviously different different states, different counties um, are, are in different phases, if you will, of, of golf um, as it regards to, um, you know, tee times and, and uh, availability of practice facilities and, um, you know, obviously the gatherings and all these sorts of things. So, again, I, I think that, that people right now should should really focus on, on playing the game to have fun and enjoy themselves. Um, you know, obviously we're – we're miles, I think, away from, from club championships and, and more serious type events. Um, you know, so I, I, and I think also a lot of, a lot of clubs, uh, we, we just, um, you know, relax some of our guidelines to allow people to practice again, uh, this, uh, this past week. So, you know, there's a lot of rusty swings out there, uh, because people haven't had the <laughs> opportunity to play a whole lot. And then I understand that, um, you know, so right, right. I think, I think, I think people just need to have fun. I think they need to enjoy the game. I think they need to get out and, and, and have some exercise and, and the weather's been great. Um, enjoy what levels of camaraderie they can. And at the end of the day, obviously we've always encouraged, you know, the social distancing and, and the ability to be mm-hmm. safe in that environment. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to hit a good shot and not give somebody a high five or say hello to your buddy with right. a, you know a fist, right. fist pound and a and a hug or um, clearly you know no flag sticks, no bunkers touching those sorts of rep bunker rakes, you know those sorts of things. I mean, it's it's a different game right now, and so I think we just need to uh, not overcomplicate it, keep it simple, and and just go have a good time and enjoy the game. Well, you talk about camaraderie. Uh, I'll tell you, I had. Yeah, you know, our groups play uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then uh, they draw pretty much everybody out of a hat. Uh, so you don't play with the same people all the time. You play with different people each time you play. Right. But uh, mm-hmm. our group today, you, our group today, uh, Doug, you did a real kick out of this because uh, uh, the oldest guy, the captain, was 75. Uh, mm-hmm. Next, the guy up was uh, 84. Going to mm-hmm. be 85 next week. I was 85, going to be 86 in two weeks, and the oh. captain, uh, sub, captain number two was 91. <laughs> oh, so we had 75. <laughs> you, you talk about a group Jeez. of four guys. We we were a quarter of the century. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Wow. A lot of, lot, of years, lot of years experience right there. I'm sure there were some good war stories in that group and uh, hopefully some good golf to be played. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun. We, had a lot, we didn't win anything, but we had a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, that's, that's, fun. that's like going Is Mike still on with us? Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah, he's still okay. Here. Jump in, Mike. I don't know whether you had a question or what you want to jump in. No, I'm, I was letting you guys talk about golf. Uh-oh. Mike, let's talk about the Ravens. You got anything to add there? There we go. <laughs> Have they done anything differently that um, we didn't know about? Um, no, but I but I did. Um, one of the I think he was the vice president of marketing. Is if you ever read the uh, the Burn Identity, Kevin Burn. Um, plays uh, Hayfields pretty regularly with one of our members as a guest, and I, I always uh, just get a few minutes to, to chat with him. And he actually just retired recently, um, and I think is moving to South Carolina to, to probably enjoy the rest of his life playing golf and, and whatnot. Um, but I just asked him. I said, "Do you think um, you think the Ravens are going to resign or, or actually extend Matthew Judon?" And his comment to me was, "He wa- he wants to get paid like Zadarius Smith." He said, so I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, I think he said, um, I asked him about Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle. He said that's going to be a difficult one, too, because, you know, the Houston Texans uh, gave Laramie Tunsil all that money, so he wants to get paid like him. And who was the other one I asked him? There was another one. I said, I said, I asked him about J.K. Dobbins um, for clarification. He said that Dobbins was the number 17 overall rated uh, player on the Ravens draft board. And so when they had the opportunity to draft him at 55, they felt like they, they had to take him. Uh, so those were three little tidbits that I got from him before we played golf the other day. Oh, wow. I don't think they feel like they're going to be able to get maybe another wide receiver out on the, uh, the open market. But you're right. I do mm-hmm. think they're going to have some serious salary cap decisions to make in the next couple yeah. of years. They're fortunate well, enough to have uh, Jackson on a rookie deal and well Mike but, that was that was the other one I asked this guy I said you know what's the deal with Lamar Jackson he said well the Ravens are trying to save their dollar bills because they feel like they're going to have to pay him in excess of 30 million a year but there's a new t- I think the other thing and I think they're right but with the um, mm-hmm. I think he's right but I think with the new television contract coming up it may be even more than that because um, you figure you figure I think quarterbacks are about 14% of the salary cap is what's standing. Yeah. So we're going to see another seismic jump in quarterbacks. And he and Patrick Mahomes are in the prime position right now. He sure. can't even – I believe he can't even negotiate a salary cap extension until the end of next year. I think he has, it has to be four right. years where he can he can negotiate. Yeah. So they've got another two years before they can even negotiate, and then you're going to also in that time see what Deshaun Watson gets. Which right. I think you fellas can look at uh, at a, a UPS or, or it was AP, I guess it was somebody put down today in, in one of the papers I looked at. I forget which one it was. You you'd be amazed at the players that are still out there with nothing. I mean, uh, on the open market, I'm talking, you know, you're mm-hmm. talking about Pro Bowl players, three three yeah. consecutive years in the Pro Bowl. Three. I mean, there, there must be 15 players out there in all areas, defensive linemen, quarterbacks, not quarter, not quarter, quarterbacks. 
I, I couldn't believe there were that many people still out there on the on the open market that haven't been signed. I guess it's money. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure it's money. When you look at somebody like Jadavian County, is still pretty is still out there. Last time I checked. Um, yes. Who's got money to afford him? Is his mm-hmm. are, is he going to be willing as we get closer to um, to signing to drop his price? Uh, Cam Newton's still out there, but if I'm a GM and I'm looking at Cam Newton, and I got to think like the Pittsburgh Steelers might be looking hard and seriously considering him, even though they have really a limited amount of cap space. But if I'm thinking mm-hmm. about, I want to work him out. I want to have mm-hmm. him in the facility. I want to see him in person. That's I don't a bigger question. See, I don't want to do this. Well, Doug, I think the Ravens about. have so much in place uh, right now. I, I mean, uh, yeah. We talked about the 49ers, and most people think they had a terrific draft to go with the team that they had. But uh, I think the Ravens, uh, if anything, I think they helped themselves. I think they strengthened themselves over last year. I, I, I would agree think, with that. Yeah, I, I you know, the front and I, seven is a whole lot better and deeper mm-hmm. than it was last sure. year. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the offensive line, you're never going to be able to, re- to replace – Marshall Yanda, like, like, how do you replace one of the best players at his position or probably a future Hall of Famer? Um, Doug, I don't know if you would agree. I would, I think as a Ravens fan, I'd feel a lot more comfortable going into this season if there was another uh, wide receiver opposite uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood, Hollywood Brown to, to, to complement him because you yeah. know, that, that was well, the group that got 1,400 sure. yards last year. And I, I would agree um, they probably do need somebody else. But I, I also think, too, that the Ravens have been infamous for, you know, obviously developing their own players and and having, you know, second-year players step up and, and first-year players fill, um, you know, specific roles. So, you know, Miles Boykin, I think, is, is slated for a lot, lot bigger role. Um, you know, I think um, Willie Sneed obviously played a, a good solid slot position. Uh, the guy that they drafted out of Texas, uh, Duvernay, I think, um, will add something to their squad. Um, you know, they still have a couple of really solid top-tier caliber uh, tight ends, and clearly they want to run the football. Uh, so, um, as you mentioned, though, it's going to be difficult to replace a Marshall Yonda. Um, again, I think they have uh, some guys on their squad that they have drafted this year and in years past that I think, obviously, they're looking at. I mean, they – they always have a plan in place, that's for sure, and I believe that. Uh, so, you know, I'm not necessarily worried about it. And I also think strength of schedule-wise, you know, I think I think they obviously play some difficult squads, uh, you know, coming up this year. But I think that their schedule is rated as one of the easier ones, uh, which doesn't hurt either. And also, yeah, I feel a little bit happy for Flacco. Uh, Flacco uh, had a tough yeah. time last year, injury and so forth, but uh, – Sure. Uh, obviously, he did not want to retire. He signed for short money, I think, uh, a million and a half, yeah. something like that, uh, with maybe some incentives mm-hmm. in there if he gets to play very much. But uh, a great product. Uh, was a great asset to Baltimore for so many years. And it's, mm-hmm. it's great to see that uh, he's going he's gonna to be a great backup for the New York Jets. I think that was a great move. Well, he's a Jersey boy, so that makes sense. That's right. University of Delaware, perfect for him. Yep. Right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doug, Doug, you said something about Kevin Byrne. I, I, mm-hmm. Kevin used to be vice president of public relations for your Cleveland Browns. If he, if he, there you go. Tommy on the Tommy G show because I was okay. on was I was on the show with Jim Jones and Hanford Dixon 
up there right. and that. And, and I see, last time I seen Kevin was with, with with the Ravens. I was in covering the Ravens Buccaneers game, and Kevin said, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, you, where, where have you been?" I said, "I moved down here a couple of years ago." And I was like back in the mm-hmm. late nineties. So if you see Kevin, give my very very best. Friend. All right, small world. He's, he's a good man. Well, quick answer from all you guys. First of all, uh, do you think all these teams are going to? Are they going to all get underway in June, July? Are we going to have uh, hockey, basketball, and, and baseball? Everything going hey, along with golf. Uh, is everybody going to be back in business? Uh, Doug, we'll start with you. Yes or no? Uh, hey, yes. Doug and Don, hang on about Short that. Season, but yes. Hang on about that. Frank just said tick, 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 tock. So be great. We go, go talk about that next week. And that we'll, we'll have on Bill Matthews more about baseball and that. So Don, Roger. Frank and Doug and Mike, thank you for coming mm-hmm. on tonight. Always a pleasure to talk with you. This is my favorite day of the care. week. Favorite day of the week. So be, be good and be safe up there, guys. Thank don't you. Let them, don't let them close your pew at church down, Tommy, because you don't give it a collection. <laughs> no. I should stay down back and take off that way. <laughs> but, Don, always a pleasure to have you on. And, and Doug and Roger, always a pleasure to have you on. Be safe and be safe up there, guys. And it was great to have on Roy Cummings and special guest Bobby the Chief Taylor. Oh, my God. We, we could talk hockey with Bobby all night. That was, that was, that was fun. So, Frank, take it away, sir. Thank you. Okay, Tommy, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the women and women police and fire services. When you're out there you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. It's a very important time for people uh, in uniform, both domestically and in foreign lands. Uh, these programs also get dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Banger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Patrolman Chief Al Hogle, Longbow Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Office. Patrolman Robert Jermaine, Woodmere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Up Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Delaware State Trooper Rod- Sergeant Rodney Bond. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. F. Lee Special Inspector. Uh, Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Boward, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy uh, Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, and Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. 
May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.